listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work of the Venerable Maria Bagrida. We are now at the last chapter of Book 2 of Volume 1, Chapter 24. We'll divide this reading into two segments. Today is Day 89. Tomorrow is Day 90. So we will be beginning Volume 2 in just a few days. If you want to continue discussing this with others, visit the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group on Facebook. Today, as I mentioned, is day number 89. We are reading from chapter 24, paragraphs 785 to 793. Chapter 24. The same subject continued. The rest of the 31st chapter of the Proverbs is explained. 785. No quality of a valiant woman could be wanting in our queen, for she was the fountain of virtue and of grace. Our text continues in the 16th verse. She hath considered a field, and bought it with the fruits of her hand. She hath planted a vineyard. The field of highest perfection, where the abundant and fragrant fruits of virtue are reared, was the one which Most Holy Mary considered, And as she was inspecting and taxing it by the clearness of the divine light, she recognized the treasure which was buried in it. In order to buy this field, she exchanged for it her property rights in all the earth, of which she was truly the queen and mistress. Preferring the possession of this field to all other things, and abdicating in favor of it the use and right of all her possessions, this mistress alone could dispose of all creation, For she alone had the full possession of it, and she alone could buy the whole field of holiness. She alone could examine and estimate its full value, and she alone next to God appropriated to herself the field of the divinity and its attributes, while the other saints could appropriate only a part. With the fruits of her hands she hath planted a vineyard. She planted the holy church, not only by giving us her most holy Son to form and constitute it, but by being herself his co-adjutrix, and after his ascension, remaining the mistress of the church, as will be related in the third part of this history. She planted the vineyard of the paradise which the fierce beast Lucifer had ruined and devastated, thus restoring it to fruitfulness by her solicitude. She planted the vineyard of her most great and magnanimous heart, setting in it the sprouts of virtue and the most fertile vines, from which Christ in the wine-press of the cross distilled the most sweet wine of his love to inebriate his beloved and nourish his friends. Canticle 5.1 7.86 She hath girdled her loins with strength, and hath strengthened her arm. The greatest strength of those who call themselves strong is in their arm with which they perform hard and difficult works. And the most difficult work of earthly men consists in restricting their passions and inclinations and subjecting them to reason. Therefore, the holy text says of this valiant woman that she both girds her loins and strengthens her arms. Our queen was subject to no passions or disorderly inclinations, which she would have to suppress in her most innocent person. But this did not hinder her from being more courageous in restricting herself than all the children of Adam, whose interior is thrown into disorder by the consequence of sin. 
without having need thereof of her virtues, and her love urged her to practice greater mortification than the most wicked inclinations could ever have required, none of those who were infected by sin, and who were bound to satisfy for it, ever exerted such strength in mortifying their disorderly passions, as our Princess Mary exerted in governing, and mortifying more and more all her faculties and senses. She chastised her most innocent and virginal body by incessant penances, watchings, fasts, prostrations in the form of the cross, as we shall say later on. She denied to her senses all rest and indulgence, not because they were in disorder, but so as continually to perform what was most holy and acceptable before God, being never weak, never remiss or negligent, and bringing all her works to the full measure and efficacy of grace. 787. She hath tasted and seen that her traffic is good. Her lamp shall not be put out in the night. The Lord is so kind and faithful with creatures that when he commands us to gird ourselves with mortification and penance, since the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and must be gained by force, Matthew 12.12, 12, on account of this violence to our inclinations, he rewards our efforts with the joy and consolation that fill our heart with delight. By this joy we know how good is this exchange of the highest good, for those works of mortification by which we restrain our hankering after temporal pleasure. For as a prepayment we receive the joys of the Christian truth, and in it a pledge of eternal life. And the more we engage in this kind of commerce, the more we will gain, and the greater will be our esteem for this commerce. 788. If we who are subject to sin experience this truth, how much more intimately did Most Holy Mary understand and appreciate it? And if, in us, in whom the night of sin is so dense and persistent, the divine light of grace can be preserved by means of penance and mortification of our passions, how much this light have burned in the heart of the most pure creature. She was not oppressed by the infection of our gross and corrupted nature. She had not been scorched by the tinder of disobedience. She was not stung by the reproaches of a bad conscience, nor by the fear of actual sin. And besides all this, she was enlightened beyond all conception of angels or men. She understood well and enjoyed this kind of commerce without extinguishing in the troubles and dangers of this life the light-giving lamp of the Lamb. Apocalypse 31.19 7.89 She hath put out her hand to strong things, and her fingers have taken hold of the spindle. The valiant woman, who with the exertion of the labor of her hands increases her virtues and the goods of her family, who girds herself with fortitude against her passions, who recognizes the delights of the commerce of virtue, could well extend and reach out her hand toward great things. Most Holy Mary did this unhindered by her state and its obligations, for elevating herself above herself and above all earthly things. She enlarged her aspirations and extended her operations to what was greatest and mightiest in the spheres of divine love and knowledge, rising above all human and angelic natures. And as with her espousal she approached nearer and nearer to the dignity and the state of mother, she continued to expand her heart and extend her hand to the new works of holiness, until she fitted herself to cooperate in the most arduous and sublime work of the divine omnipotence, namely the incarnation of the word. Of all this, I will say more in the second part, 
when explaining the preparation of our queen for this great mystery. And because the mere resolve or determination to do great things, and without their fulfillment is futile and of no practical consequence, therefore it is said, and her fingers have taken hold of the spindle, which means to say that our queen really executed all the great arduous and difficult works, exactly as she had intended and proposed in her most well-ordered mind. In all things, she was found true, and far from the exaggeration and mere outward show of a woman who carries the distaff at her girdle, but does not take hold of the spindle. Therefore, it is added, 790. She hath opened her hand to the needy, and stretched out her hand to the poor. The prudent woman and housewife shows great courage in being liberal with the poor, never yielding to weakness of mind or cowardly indifference, lest on account of her alms her family should suffer. For the most powerful means of increasing all possessions is to part liberally with them for the poor of Christ, who even in this life knows how to give a hundredfold in return. Most Holy Mary distributed to the poor and to the temple the inheritance of her parents, as I said above. Besides this, she gave the labor of her hands to assist in the works of mercy, for without contributing her personal exertion and labor, she could not have satisfied her pious and generous love of the poor. It is no wonder that the avaricious world of today should feel want and poverty in temporal things, since men are become so deficient in kindness and pity for the poor. They use that which God created for the sustenance of the needy and for the salvation of the rich only for satisfying their own vanities. 791. Our most kind queen and lady, however, did not extend her only hands to the poor. She also drew forth the almighty hand of the omnipotent God, for as yet he had not extended the helping hand of the divine word towards mortals, who did not merit, or rather, who were making themselves unworthy of such a favor. This valiant woman gave him hands, hands extended and opened for the benefit of us poor captives, afflicted by the misery of sin, because this neediness and poverty was the lot of all men. Scripture uses the word poor in the singular, for all the human race was like one poor person, capable of providing for itself no more than if all men had only been one single poor person. The hands of our Savior, Christ our Lord, extended for our redemption and open for the distribution of his gifts and merits, were none other than the very hands of the Most Holy Mary, for he as her son had them from her, and without her, the unfortunate race would never have seen them open for the relief. They were hers also, in many other respects. 792. She shall not fear her house in the cold of the snow, for all her domestics are clothed in double garments. Having lost the sun of justice, the warmth of grace and original justice, our nature was buried under the frozen snow of sin, with all its power for doing good, restricted, impeded, and congealed. Thence arise the difficulties in the performance of holy works, the slowness of our actions, our inattention and negligence, our instability, and numerous other defects in the practice of virtue. Thence it comes that we find ourselves, after the commission of sin, deprived of the love of God, without shelter, or covering against temptations. Our heavenly queen was free from all these impediments and defects in body and soul, for all her domestics, that is, her interior and exterior faculties, were sheltered from the frost of sin by double vestments. On the one hand, she was protected by original justice, and the infused virtues together with the virtues acquired by her own exertions in the first moment of her activity. 
On the other hand, she was also protected by the double vestment of the common graces, which she received on her own account, and those which she received in a special manner on account of her dignity as mother of God. I will not detain myself in describing her provident care for her own household. For in other women, the care which they bestow in this matter may be praiseworthy, because it is necessary. In the house of the Queen of Heaven and Earth, Most Holy Mary, it was not necessary to multiply the garments, not for her son, since he possessed but one, not for herself, nor for her spouse Joseph, since their poverty was their greatest adornment and shelter. 793. She hath made for herself clothing of tapestry, fine linen, and purple is her covering. This metaphor likewise indicates the spiritual adornments of this woman. It was a garment variegated and strong, serving completely as a covering and defending her from the inclemencies and rigors of the rainstorms. For this is the purpose for which strong blankets, raincoats, and the like are woven. The long cloak of virtue and gifts of Mary was impenetrable to the powerful streams of temptation and assault which the great red and sanguinary dragon poured out against her, and which St. John saw in the Apocalypse one fifteen. Greater than the strength of this vestment was the beauty and the variety of her virtues woven into it, and not merely apparent, for they had, so to say, become a part of her flesh and blood, and of the substance of her nature from the very moment in which she obtained her existence in grace and original justice. In her were the purple of charity, the white of chastity and purity, the azure of hope, with all other variety of gifts and graces which clothed her about entirely and adorned her all their beauty. Also the white and the red which the spouse designates as the special tokens of the humanity and the divinity of the Son adorned her. Canticle 5.10 For as she gave to the word the red of his most holy humanity, he in return gave her the splendor of the divinity, not uniting both these natures in her virginal womb, but leaving in his mother emanations and rays of the divinity more excellent than in all other creatures together. This concludes our reading today. For day number 89, we've been reading from Book 2, Chapter 24, Paragraphs 785 to 793. One of the interesting things I found in our reading today was just thinking about the fact that Mary undertook penances and mortifications in her life. She chastised her most innocent and virginal body by incessant penances, watchings, fasts, prostrations, and the forms of the cross— as we shall say later on, which that made me think, well, how diligent am I in the discipline of penance and fasting and such? Penance, denying ourselves, watchings. So this would be like keeping watch. I would think that this would be similar to maybe making a holy hour at 3 a.m. in the morning. And fasts, well, that's when we abstain from food. Not only do we abstain from certain foods, maybe as a penance, but then I say, I'm going to fast today for this purpose, for this prayer. I want to amplify it. And we know that in the Gospels, Jesus says that certain demons can only be casted out by fasting. And so fasting is a powerful efficacy to our prayer because it is a prayer and it is pleasing to God. And this is an interesting one. Prostrations in the form of the cross. What does that mean? That means laying on the floor and putting your arms out. And there you are lying on the form in the cross. 
We do this on Good Friday. We prostrate. The minister of the church prostrates before the cross of Christ. This might sound weird, but have you ever done that gesture of prostration? Maybe in the privacy of your own room. Do that today. And as you do so, it's this moment of, we say, I'm surrendering all to you, Lord. I'm giving it to you. I submit myself to you. When a priest is ordained or a deacon ordained, they prostrate on the floor. When a monk professes vows, they are laying prostrate on the floor and they're covered with a cloth, kind of symbolic of the burial cloth, that there is a death to self. This was something Mary did. Never thought about that. And then we hear in our reading that she hath opened her hand to the needy and stretched out her hand to the poor. And there are a few different reflections we could take here that we saw our reading take today. Well, the very first one, we are the poor people. We are depraved. We need the richness of God in our life. And so we stand before God as one of the poor. She hath opened her hand to the needy and stretched out her hand to the poor. And so then Maria of Agreda mentions, well, she gives us Christ. And because of that, he then opens his hand to the poor. That the hand of Mary is then also really, as Christ takes his body from her, by extension, the hand of the Blessed Virgin as well. That Mary has given Christ his hands. And so he opens up his hand to the poor. On the cross, his hands are there, open to us. And what is the richness that we receive in that moment? That we receive the grace of redemption and salvation. We are poor because of the sin of Adam and Eve, but we are made rich because of Christ and his most holy mother. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I am grateful that you are joining me in this mystical city of God. I'm glad you listened today, and I hope you'll listen tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.